I'm Scott. This is Reagan. We're the uh, we're a couple of associate pastors here at Lovers Lane, and together we co-pastor this worship community called Thrive. And we're glad that you're here for Mother's Day. Those of us, those of you joining us online, glad that you're here as well. And uh, we are continuing in a series today um, that we have called Recover, where we've been looking at the last uh, two weeks. Uh, we've been we've begun looking at the twelve steps. It's a series built around. The 12 steps, uh, last week, or the first week, we covered steps one and two. Last week, we covered step three. This week are steps four and five. And um, it's a little bit, oh, <coughs> sorry. It's a little bit interesting because four and five, uh, you start getting into really the heavy work of the 12 steps. The first three are, you know, it's it, step one is admitting that we're powerless. Step two is acknowledging a higher power. Step three is making a decision to allow that higher power to work in your life. And we acknowledge that higher power is God through Jesus Christ here in Lover's Lane. Step four and step five is like... Fearlessly conducting a moral inventory and all of the wrongs and then uh, confessing all of those wrongs to God and yourself and another person. Happy Mother's Day. Yay! Yay. Um, so actually Stan and I were laughing about that this past week. We were like, what were we thinking when we planned this sermon series? We should have like hit a pause button. But here's the deal. I don't know that it's necessarily... Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a weird Sunday. So that's good news. Um, uh, because even though the, the, the steps we're going to talk about today, on the surface level, they sound really heavy. Uh, what we're going to find, I hope, is that there is an incredible lightness uh, and freedom that comes from really taking these steps seriously. And if this is your first Sunday at Lover's Lane or your first Sunday in a while, um, and you're asking yourself, um, I, 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 I'm not in a 12-step ministry, I don't have an addiction... Uh, does this really apply to me? Uh, yes, it does. And I hope that you'll go back and listen or watch the, the first two weeks because we've, we've talked about that this whole time, that the more we get into this content, Reagan and I and Stan and other preachers, we're realizing how um, important it is for everybody to acknowledge that we're in need of recovery. All of us are recovering from something, many things. All of us experience brokenness. All of us need something more than ourselves to make us better. And so um, I hope that you'll really engage this morning, and I hope that you'll go back and listen or watch to the sermons uh, the last two weeks. And, and I just want to echo what Didi said to start the service, too. It is Mother's Day, and we celebrate uh, the moms and the women amongst us, all of the women who make our lives better and who, and who build us up. And we also acknowledge it's a complicated Sunday. And so um, for those of us who this Sunday is, is a harder Sunday, or maybe you're, you're watching from home because you didn't know that you could come onto campus, with all the Mother's Day um, uh, spirit, uh, just know that, that we see you and uh, we lift you up in prayer uh, because we know that it's a complicated day for a lot of people. And so um, we're going to be looking at these two steps and, and Reagan and I are going to just sort of be having a conversation around them. If you've never seen us do this before, buckle up. It's messy, and um, we'll probably mess this up. So uh, it's fun, though. You get to watch a slow-moving slow train accident in person. It's so that's great. fun. Um, and we're going to be looking at one scripture to sort of center us this morning, uh, and that's Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Uh, and so I think that we've got uh, and, and we're going to start with step four. So let's see step four on the screens real quick. This is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And, and here's the scripture that we have to work with this morning. It says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So let's say a word of prayer and then we'll begin our conversation. Gracious God, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks um, that you are the light in our lives um, and that your light shines into every dark place. God, as we um, prepare to talk about um, two steps in the 12 steps that um, can look like a daunting process but really hold so much life and freedom in them, God, allow us not to run from this but allow us to engage with this. Allow us to let your light in uh, so that we could experience the health and the holiness and the happiness that you would have uh, for us and for our lives and for those whom we love. God, we just ask that you bless this time together that we get to share as a worshiping community. In your sons and we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. So when I read that verse and I think about um, kind of the the darkness that we maybe carry within us or the parts of us that we, that we don't like. Um, I, I, I was reading uh, as I was thinking about this sermon and, and different things and how it can be really, really scary to look at that and really confront it and really face it and understand what's going on. But here's one thing that, it, that can really um, be a struggle is that maybe those of you that grew up maybe um, in a super religious family or your parents were really big critics or, or whatever that you already have all these loud voices. You already have these things in you that are just on repeat that you're kind of very aware <laughs> of maybe your shortcomings or different things. But also what's really important is um, as you start to do moral inventory of what's going on is that often, you know, there's this shame that we carry within us. Um, of things we, we've done or messed up with, but also what's really, really important to know is that some of that shame is completely false because of some things that have been told to you, um, that you've been lied to, things that you've been told to believe about yourself. And so and that's why it's really, really important to have this really deep moral inventory of who you are and find out what is actually true and what is actually some false narrative that someone gave to you. And so that's why it's really, really important to have these really hard questions and to really think through. And so I know for those um, that do Enneagram stuff, which we sometimes talk about that, which you all need to do Enneagram stuff. But um, as, a, as a one, Scott is a one. It's like a per- sorry, it's like a yeah. personality inventory type thing. So uh, my personality type, I've got what we call an inner critic. Anybody else have a, have a a sort of a critical voice that sort of goes constantly inside your head. And this is, and I've talked about, the last couple weeks I've talked about uh, living with depression as well. This isn't exactly the same thing. Even in a healthy place, I still have a critical voice uh, that sort of follows me around. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You, you say amen if you're, if you're if the inner critic. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that in our context, there's a lot of folks that, that, that have this type of personality. And, um, and so that's what Reagan's talking about a little bit is some of us, are really good at judging ourselves. Um, even if you don't feel like you have an inner critic, uh, mm-hmm. would you say that you are, of everyone in your life, you're, you're most judgmental of yourself? If that's yeah. you, say amen. 
<laughs> right. And we say that with like, amen. Like it's a burden, right? Yeah. It is. Like it's, it's wearying. It's exhausting. Yeah. Um, so even though he has an inner critic, um, and so he may think, well, I'm very aware of who I am. Well, yes and no, because again, some of that is very false. And some of that is like, okay, but what's underneath that? What's, what's really going on? And it's interesting if you've ever uh, been in counseling, um, I'm so appreciative the way that counselors can get you to talk about things is incredible. It's like they've been trained for it. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they've had an education. Um, how do they do that? But it's interesting how, like, you know, they'll ask those questions and you're digging a little deeper and then you're like, all of a sudden something comes out of you and you're like, well, I didn't know that was inside of me. I didn't know I thought about that or I, you know, I think that. And it's interesting. Some I love counselors because sometimes you have this worst fear of things that you think or believe and then you like say it and there's this incredible freedom of getting that out and and talking with someone Um, and what's really important I think when we think about Christ is uh, one story that was brought up in in reading is when Christ encounters um, the Samaritan woman at the well you know he already knows everything about her Um, though if you don't know the story um, she's an adulteress has had many husbands, but the person that she's with is not even her husband. And yet Christ greets her with this incredible love and grace. Yes, he asks her to change, but he doesn't receive her. Like, he's not waiting at the well, like, okay, I'm going to get into you, like, really bad. Um, And so when you think about, okay, I'm going to have to dig deep, that we're going to this, this God that is very loving and caring. Yes, is going to... Um, demand some change, but I've got this God that um, wants to say, yeah, there's these things about you, but you are still worthy. Yes, you are still precious, and yes, I still love you. And so I think when you start to look at who you are, know that you still have incredible worth, that you're still very much worth love. You're still just worth so much. And so keep that in mind when you're going through this moral inventory of who you are, um, that you're going to this really gracious, gracious God. And so I think as you do this exercise, which I hope we all kind of maybe leave today, like, hey, I really want to look at myself. I think there's a part, uh, you're going to start to probably um, not like yourself. <laughs> I think you're like, oh, I really hate myself. <laughs> there's not a lot of, there's some really not happy parts of myself. But I think on the other side, you may actually get to love yourself for the very, very first time. Because you're getting through all the muck and all that the dark and all that, and you're finding, like, again, what's true, what's not, and releasing yourself and, and changing and forgiving yourself, and then you're going to end up maybe, like I said, loving yourself. Um, we've all been, um, if you've ever done a hike with someone that's really in shape and it's really annoying. Um, so annoying. You know, you're climbing up a mountain. Like, isn't this fantastic? Like, <sighs> yeah, yeah, this is great. <laughs> you're, like, you're in the parking lot still, Scott. Come yeah. on, come on. And uh, but I've I've been on hikes before where like you know I had to either stop or maybe I had to turn back. And the people that got to keep going, sure enough, when you know they come back down, they're like, oh my gosh, it was the most that amazing view. view. And you're like, uh huh. Cool. Yep. Um, as you're like puking or whatever. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you're doing this moral inventory, that's what it's like. Like, it is such hard work. But when you get to that other side, I mean, there's something so incredible about that. And so I think we have to go through these hard things. You're going to have to look 
deep into you, who you are, and yes, you're going to be like, oh gosh, maybe I'm not a very nice person, or maybe I do have a lot more brokenness than I thought. Um, but I think it's worth it. And one thing that we've talked about, one book that we're reading through this is Breathing Under Water by Richard Rohr. You're going to keep hearing us talk about it. It's like, just go ahead and buy it. Yeah, so that just you buy can, it. Because so, we're just going to mention it every week. Um, it's really good. That uh, he talks about how when you do that moral inventory, you get to see, let's see, I want to make sure I say it right, that you get to see what contradictions are within you, what conflicts inconsistencies and inner confusion and I think for me personally I know that I want to be consistent in a lot of areas of my life Um, I want to not have this inner conflict I don't want to be confused about things I want to be very sure and confident of who I am and that I'm loving and treating people and worshiping God in a way that I think is consistent all the way through and so um, it's very 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 hard work but I think when you get to the root of who you are Um, Again, I think there's freedom, there's grace, and there's this love. There's this experience that you get to do only if you're willing to really examine yourself at a really, really deep level. Yeah. One thing on that, I think, you know, the importance of naming things, right? Um, I think so much of, uh, man, there's like a whole other sermon on uh, talking about whether you want to talk about the enemy or... Uh, the devil or just sort of spiritual um, side of, of evil, there, there is this, this presence um, uh, that I think really values keeping things unnamed and making you stay silent about things that you know are eating away at you. Uh, things that that you think about yourself that you know I've been in I've been on a couch with the therapist and like getting some to some of those deeper things that I that I think about myself and as soon as you name it like I would name it and I'd almost start laughing because like I know it's not true and as soon as I name it like its power goes away like any Harry Potter fans in the room this morning right <laughs> like like he who must not be named like that's all of his power right Voldemort's power was in like this presence that no one could talk about no one could name it right um, and then, spoiler alert, no, I'm kidding. There's kids in there that maybe haven't read the books yet. I want to protect that. That's sweet. But, but like, his, his, his power, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great book series. It was really fun growing up in that series, and everyone was freaking out that, like, you know, witchcraft is taking over today's youth and whatever. And I'm like, that was, like, the Salem days. Remember that? That was witchcraft, guys. This is a book series. Calm down. So, um, but his power comes from that not being named. And I think those darker sides of what we think about ourselves, when we name them, like, sometimes it's almost like, we do acknowledge immediately, that's not who I am. That's not, I, I know that's not true about me. So I just wanted to say that. Um, and, and here's the deal. When, when, we, when you work through your moral inventory, it's not like you write it all down or, you, or you, 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 know, you process through it and all of a sudden like you're done and you're fixed and there's no more sin, there's no more brokenness. Look at this. It's all, yay, poof, done. Like it's not that all of a sudden we're becoming like immediately perfect, um, but it is that, that we are constantly working on growing. We're going to talk about spiritual maturity here in a little bit, but, but we, we have a bit more control, not of our own doing, but through the grace of God. We have a bit more control over these um, aspects of us that we wish were better, that we know aren't perfect, that we know are broken, and simply getting to name those things and having a sense of it. It's almost like taking it like a budget, like for those of us who are financially minded, like having that sense of control, like I know what's in, I know what's out, I know what's in the black, I know what's in the red, and at least now it's down there, and I can see it, and I can get my hands on it. There's, there's power that comes from that. Um, 
So uh, one of the things that I love that, that Richard Rohr says in Breathing Underwater, he says that we don't do this moral inventory so that we can have a perfect moral victory or moral superiority, right? You don't write it down so you can be like, look at how awesome I am. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I bet my spouse is so much worse than me. I can't wait to see their list. It's so bad. You know, we don't do this to, to, to sort of try to work on all the, on all the bad sides so that we can become perfect and then lord it, in front, lord it over people, right? We do this just so that we can have awareness so we can shine a light on it as Matthew uses he uses that imagery of light that's pervasive throughout scripture but so we can shine a light on the parts of us that that we know are broken um, and, and that really is is as Richard Rohr says that's the that's beca- that becomes our real moral victory is simply being aware simply knowing this is part of who I am um, I, I, I think it's so important. Uh, Reagan mentioned Enneagram before. Um, that, you know, we're living in a day and age where there's all sorts of personality inventories and so many different things. And maybe you're in a corporate setting where you're like, if I have to take one more Myers-Briggs style test, I am going to jump out of my corner office, right? Um, and so maybe you hate them. But I think self-awareness is so critical, is so key. Not that, not that, again, we're trying to become perfect people, but so that you can just know this is my shortcoming. This is, my, this is where I need work. This is where I need to, to exercise my personality a little bit more. Um, and, and lastly, the last thing I want to say about the moral inventory. Anything you want to jump in on? Yet? Uh, it depends what you're about to say. No? Okay, I'll cool. fix it. Please. <laughs> That's good. Um, the, the, the last thing on this moral inventory is we, we do this not even so much for ourselves. Right? We, yeah, we're, it's a personal, it's a self-inventory. Um, but this is not selfish work. Uh, we do this work really so that we can be a, a better person for the people around us. Mm-hmm. It becomes a gift for, the, the, for those whom we love and who, we have to, who have to share this world with us, right? Like there are people who don't get to choose to have you around. Like you're just in their life, right? And we <laughs> might as well make that as pleasant an experience for them as possible, right? Um, because I know there are parts of me that, that can make me really difficult to be around. And I do owe it. Do you want it, me to name those? No, not okay. right now. Okay. Not right now. That's very sweet though. Happy Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> Let me go ahead and go on Amazon and return that real quick. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so we, we do this really not for ourselves. We, we do this because we want to make ourselves easier to love, as, as Richard Rohr says, easier to love um, by the people around us. Um, and, and I think that's, that, that can be a gift. Uh, maybe your gift for Mother's Day this, this year is to do a moral inventory, begin working on and going, hey, Mom, I realized this, this, this about myself. And she's probably like, yeah, I've known that for decades. You know? <laughs> um, ask your mom to make your moral inventory for you. There's a fun it's challenge. Like I've been hoping for this Don't day. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> do that. It it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up Thanksgiving. Don't do that. <laughs> um, anything to add on step four? Well, no, I mean, it really is. It is fulfilling, like, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor. And one way we can love our neighbor is by loving ourselves and working on things so we can love our neighbor better so we're not hurting them or damaging them. You know, like, with addictions and different things, like, we know that it doesn't just affect the person that's addicted. It's everyone around them. Like, they get hurt by it. And so I think when you do this inventory, it really is an act of love not only for yourself, but for others around you. Um, and it is fulfilling, you know, part of the gospel's command uh, of loving God and loving our neighbor as best we can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You had a few more things, I guess. I didn't notice that to say it before we get to step five. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, you did. Okay. Sorry, I'm skipping your notes. That's all right. I know. Um, so told you. Told you we were going to get messy. To, to, go, to go back a little bit, one thing that 
Um, they, Richard Rohr talks about more how it's like the shadow part of you, the part that you have to dig into. So not saying like, you don't have this like evil part of who you are. It's these things that sh are in the shadows that kind of linger and those things that you don't want to face, those things that you want to look at. Um, and that really, we can be so good at denial, like basically we're, we're choosing blindness not to look at those parts of who, of who we are. Yeah. But I think once you start to do that moral um, inventory, um, I love, I think about, um, especially when I've done counseling or different things, like I'm so good at blaming others or making excuses. Maybe you're like that, um, denying all that kind of stuff. But when you start to look at that, you can have such a more accurate viewpoint <laughs> of, of who you are and who's responsible for what and who's not responsible. Um, and so I think looking at those hard parts allows you just to see, I think we've said this, to just see more accurately right. and have a more um, true identity, a true um, worldview and, and different things like that. And one thing that I, um, I love in, in scripture so often is that we see these stories, that, that, like the prodigal son, or there's a story of the tax collector when um, they're in the temple and the tax collector, well, there's one person that's like, you know, thank goodness I'm not like that person who's such a sinner, you know. And then the tax collector's like, gosh, God have mercy on me, I'm such a sinner. And what's interesting is that the people that are the most wrong, that have maybe done the worst um, in the Bible, actually end up being right because they're simply, like Scott said, aware of who they are they're aware of their shortcomings so they're they are on the track of growth and and healing and redemption because they've said out loud their wrongdoings and what where they need improvement and all that type of thing and I think again like he said until you name it you can't really grow from anything um and so I love that scripture just so clear like hey when you're honest when you're aware you are ready um to be changed and transformed by by Christ. You'll hear us talk in, in church speak about being convicted, right? That's a, that's a word that gets used a lot, and that's a word I find gets misunderstood uh, a lot, because um, maybe you were raised in a faith tradition where that word has some really negative connotations with it, feeling convicted. Um, and, and being convicted by the Spirit is what we're talking about right now. It, it has nothing to do with feeling condemned. You know, a lot of people think that feeling convicted is like feeling like you're this big and feeling worthless and feeling bad mm -hmm. about yourself. That's not conviction. Being convicted is simply when you're, when you're brought into the light, using that light metaphor, when you're brought into the light and you know what is true. It's revealing what is true. Yeah. And sometimes what is true is that, yeah, something's broken, something's wrong. And sometimes what is true is that you are worthy and you are good. And both of those things can be true at the same time. Um, but don't ever, ever, ever feel like your relationship with God is supposed to be one of condemnation. Uh, because going back to the woman at the well, Jesus says to her, says to all the whole crowd that's ready to stone her to death because of her adulterous ways, um, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. And none of them do. And he says, is, any, is anyone going to stone you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Right? Um, the role of, of God's presence in our life is not to be one of condemnation, but simply reveal what is true and to let us move forward from that place. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to redeem the word conviction for a second because sure. I think it's a good, I think it's an important word uh, in the church, but I think it's one that we can misunderstand. So let's move on to step five. Good? Yeah. Great. 
Cool. Uh, so step five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Uh, what we're going to hone in on there, I think uh, a lot of folks are really good at admitting to uh, maybe you can admit to yourself. Maybe you're like, Scott, okay, I'm on board with doing a moral inventory. I can write that down or I can, you know, process this out. I, I, I like having the sense of control over that. I can, I, Scott, I'm good with admitting to God uh, where I'm broken. Um, you know, I feel like I've got a good relationship going there. Um, but notice it says, and to another human, human being, <laughs> right? I like that some people, not your dog, right? Um, <laughs> Not your goldfish, not the tree, you know, not to nature. You can't go stand on a mountaintop and scream it out into nothing, right, to another human being. And so let, let's talk about that because that could make a lot of us very uncomfortable. And I think uh, in a way it's, it's the culture that we live in um, of sort of Western Christianity that, uh, what I'll say Western Protestant Christianity that is really, really into uh, sort of a, a I, it's me and God, that's what my faith is about, my relationship with God, and I don't really need anybody else to butt in on it, right? Um, and it's this very sense of, it's this sense of sort of independence and privacy, and, um, and so that's, though, not going to work if we're going to keep working the steps. And I think it's important that they put this in here. Anyone who's worked the steps can tell you that trying to conquer this alone is a really bad idea, and you're very likely going to fail because there's power that comes from speaking these things, not just to yourself and not just to God, but to actually to another person. And to another person who is qualified and ready to receive that. You know, people that work the steps can tell you a lot of times, this is not, this is not necessary. The first person you turn to may not be your spouse. Um, it's, it's not going to be your mom. Don't go to your mom on Mother's Day and say, time for me to confess all this stuff. Right? You know, uh, it's, it may be a counselor. It may be a pastor. It may be a support group. It may be a very trusted friend. Um, but there's something about getting it outside of just us and getting it outside of just a one-way you know, one street relationship between us and God and getting that into more of a community sense, even if that community is one person um, it, it gives us a lot more power. Um, the reason it gives us power is because it, it brings us into a mode of restorative justice. Is something that um, that Richard Rohr talks about again. A lot of today's coming from from a couple chapters in his book because it's just so good. Um, he he talks about how there's this there there are two different basic approaches to justice, and one is um, retribution and one is restorative. And, and we tend to think a lot in terms of retributive justice, um, where that's, a, that's built around punishment. Uh, you do wrong, you get wrong, right? Um, and, and it's about exacting punishments for things that we do wrong. And, and you can even see that kind of a justice in the Bible at times. That's sort of the way that, that people understand God at times in the Bible. But over time, and especially by the time we get to Jesus, there's this, there's this more holistic approach of, of restorative justice, that God's economy operates differently than maybe the justice systems in our world do, that there's something about the way that God seeks justice that doesn't look to punish those who do wrong, but seeks to restore them back into whole beings beings who are made to be good and to do right. Um, again, going back to God's goal is not to condemn us. God's goal is not to punish us. God's goal is to restore us. And we can get to that restorative work um, much more easily if we invite other people to be a part of it. So I'm going to yeah. hand it back to um, you. So one thing, for a long time, or if, if you grew up Catholic and 
you, you're familiar with the confessional. We got some recovering Catholics in yep. the room. I know that. Um, they like that term, by the way. <laughs> so, um, in Scripture, in like Exodus 25, there's you know they establish someone to sit in this mercy seat, and so this person was going to receive privately, you know, confession, um, and so that person was going to to hold all kind of the power or the forgiveness, I guess. And so we see through the history of time, like became more and more um, regimented and different things. And so it became almost like this sacrament. And so uh, what we find um, is that, yes, it was great that people were at least admitting things, but then over time people really weren't confessing to, to too much. Um, again, in this book, uh, Richard Rohr talks about how like 90% of confession is just, well, I missed Mass. Richard Rohr is a Catholic priest, yes. by the way. Um, yeah. Most of the confession is, I missed Mass. And he's like, that's great. Um, what else have you done? Right. Um, they refer to it as getting, what do you say? He calls it being stoned to death by marshmallows. By marshmallows. Like, yeah. cool. Um, and so hearing that over and over and over again. And basically, um, he uses the term... Yeah, that milk makes you have like more moral purity, but does that really get you to moral maturity? Like you're not really confessing anything that's very hard for you. Like it's it's easy to say, well, yeah, I missed church last week. It's harder to say um, whether it's I drink too much or um, I'm yelling. I'm really angry at my spouse. I yell at my spouse too much or whatever. I mean, name your name your stuff. Name your stuff. Um, that's harder because, it's, again, it's saying it out loud, but letting someone else hear that hmm, you don't have it all together. And so what happened is that um, people really weren't being transformed. People really weren't being changed because it was so private. Um, and so they missed out on this whole community being transformed when people were more aware of what was going on, just not this one person, um, I think. And so I think for us... That's why it's so important. I hope you have a group of people. Maybe you're in a small group or maybe you have a handful of people that really do know, know your, your junk, I guess. Um, because I think it also opens the ability for them to feel comfortable to say something. Um, because when it's just really private, that doesn't really have the full transformation yeah. that you're looking for. I like his note about moral purity versus moral maturity because I think... Um, Again, part of it's cultural, too. We, we live in a culture that likes to put up a veneer, right? Uh, we, we live in an Instagram age uh, where everything has to look perfect, even more so than ever before. And, like, America has always struggled with this, but I think we're really leaning into it right now. Um, and, and we're raising our kids in this kind of a culture, too, where the, the thought is you've got to have this perfect life and look perfect. And, and we've got kids now suffering from depression, anxiety at, at higher rates than ever before um, because they know the truth, right? We know the truth. We know that none of us are perfect. We know it's all fake. Um, and, and, man, I would love to be a part of a community where people weren't, weren't obsessed with being morally pure, because we're never going to be morally pure. You're never going to get there. We're not going to be perfect people, and that's okay. But to be a morally mature community that can say, yeah, this is who I am. And yeah, this is my stuff. And yeah, God's still working on me, but I also know that I'm worthy. I know that I'm loved. I know that I was made to do good, and I'm working on that. That Having a level of moral maturity 
uh, that's aware and can name and doesn't have to hide and doesn't have to put up the veneer, man, that is such a, that is such a more attractive community to me. Because I don't know about y'all, but y'all just get exhausted living in the Instagram age. Is it, moms, is it exhausting? Say amen, somebody. It's I don't exhausting. Know, the filters make me look well-rested, so yeah. I do appreciate that. <laughs> well, okay, there's that. There's that one redeeming quality. Yay. Um, but I, I, I'm so thankful that the 12 Steps name the importance of community here. Because uh, it's something that I, I really fear we're losing very quickly. This idea that we can be broken with other people. That we can let other people know our hurts, our hang-ups, um, our habits. That we can let people see that side of us. That we can invite them to look at us while we stand in the light. And that's not scary, it's freeing. Because then you're not alone. Again, going back to call the devil, the enemy, spiritual, evil, whatever. Um, that presence loves to keep us in isolation. It's the greatest weapon in their toolkit, in my opinion. Isolation is so deadly. It is deadly. As someone who lives with depression, I can tell you isolation is deadly. Sometimes the best thing you could do for yourself is to simply be around somebody else and talk to them about it. It's the best thing you could possibly do. Um, so fight that isolation. Name it and fight the isolation. Bring uh, your brokenness into community. It sounds scary, but it's going to bring you freedom yeah. and healing. Yeah, it's interesting. If you've ever, maybe you've been in a group and you're like, okay, does anyone have any prayer requests? And people are like, no, I'm good. And then someone is bold enough. To break the ice. To break the ice. Like, my life's not good. And then everyone and, else is like. <gasps> and they share. And then someone will be like, well, actually. Right. Now that you mention it. And so if you could be that bold person, if you could take that first step, you may be helping someone else have some freedom, have some a little bit of healing. And um, another thing in this step, you know, to going back to admitting to someone face to face, like maybe that means calling up someone that you know you have hurt and getting lunch with them or getting coffee. Well, we're going to get to that next time. Okay. And looking at well, it them. Gets, it, it gets harder. Just <laughs> um, Keep coming to church. Yeah. Like, and I think it's important, even if you're like, well, I'm a different person now, maybe they don't know that. Like, I'm a big believer. It's never too late to apologize. I've said this before. It's never too late to reach out to someone and say, hey, I know this was like 10 years ago, but I just want you to know, like, I'm really sorry. Like, That's a I, great word for next week. Quit stealing my sermon for okay. next week. Thank you very There's much. There's a great scene in Billy Madison. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That will make an appearance next week for <laughs> sure. Um, sorry. That's like literally I think the next step. So I'm like, you got you to gotta stop doing that. I'm going to have nothing to say next week. Um, so uh, I want to leave us with this. Kay. Is that cool? Yeah. Ray, I told Reagan I was, I was going to talk about coral this morning. And she was like, how in the world are you working that into her sermon? Because she knows the story I'm talking about. So um, did anybody else see that there's a BBC video this past week um, that um, did I mention I was on vacation? Um, <laughs> that uh, there, there's this really cool news about, about coral. Uh, anybody? Anybody? Coral? Anybody following huh? the latest coral news? <laughs> so it turns out it was actually reported by the New York Times in a long article like five years ago, but I'm a millennial. I don't read. I watch videos. So um, <laughs> I saw it on a BBC video this past week, so it's news to me. And um, there's this guy, uh, Dr. As I pull it up on my phone, Dr. Vaughn, Dr. David Vaughn. He lives in Florida. And um, 
what he was, he, he uh, was growing this coral. Now, if you don't know anything about coral, coral is, is in the ocean, right? If you know nothing about coral, um, that's a weird <laughs> thing to say. Uh, it is like, the, Come on, you can describe it as like the, like the rainforest of the ocean, right? It's like tons of different species live in coral, but more than that, it's the food producer for the ocean. So like, um, the, and it's like a really valuable thing. So even if you don't care about the environment, if you care about money, like in Florida, the, they valued their coral reefs at like over $5 billion. That's how valuable the reefs are, uh, just to the, the, the life and the economy of, of where they live. And so there's this scientist, he works with coral. Uh, the, one, the other thing you need to know about coral is it grows very slowly. Uh, if you take an, a new little piece of coral, it can take uh, 20, anywhere from 25 to 75 years to reach maturity to then be able to reproduce. That's a long time. So when your coral is suffering, which it is right now throughout the world, it's suffering, um, growing new coral doesn't happen overnight. At least, not until uh, Dr. David Vaughn did something. He uh, had a really bad mistake. He was taking a piece of coral from where he was, at, at I think like a museum or, 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 his, uh, or his lab, and he was trying to transfer it to another one, and, and, and he dropped a piece of the coral, and it shattered into a whole bunch of pieces, little pieces. Um, and so like, he, he put it in the tank, and he thought, oh, geez, I just ruined this coral. It took me you know, years. to. It, I think it had, he had been growing it for three years, and it, and it shattered on the ground. And he places it in the tank, and he's thinking, oh, geez, I just lost all this work. And then he comes back, and within three weeks, I want to say, all those pieces had grown back to be the size of the original. And he discovered something by total accident, and it's called microfracturing. And what happens is if you take a piece of coral and you break it down, and you can break it down to like a single nodule of coral. It's, it's like the size of not even a dime, right? It's tiny. And you, play, and you break it down to those, kinda, those, those, those size pieces. You place it in the tank. Um, it will grow like 25 times faster than if you just let one piece grow on its own. And so now they can replicate coral and grow coral like 25 times to 40 times faster than they could before, all because he dropped some coral in between tanks, right? And so now the, the ocean has a whole lot better um, uh, chance of, of, of saving these coral reefs uh, because of this discovery. What in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about today? That you're part cor coral, it <laughs> takes you 75 yeah. years to mature. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You're not wrong, you're not wrong. <laughs> All of us are growing, even if at a very slow rate, right? And for some of us, it would take 75 years for us to reach maturity. Um, but when we go through the really hard work of breaking down exactly who we are, bit by bit, piece by little piece, even to the smallest possible portions, th there's something about the way that God works in those places and in that space that brings about redemption and healing that allows us to grow at a much faster rate. So don't be a big old slow piece of coral. You'll get there, but it's going to take you a whole heck of a lot longer. Allow God and the people around you to help yourself break down into the littlest nodules you can and see what kind of growth comes out of that. Because if coral's any indication, it's a much better road to hoe. Yeah? How'd yeah. that work? Hey, it was pretty good. That was pretty, that was pretty good. Y'all got to appreciate that. So that, that, that is what we have to share today. That's steps four and five. Seriously, if this was your first Sunday, 
I hope that you're intrigued enough to come back next week or to tune in online. I hope that you're intrigued enough to watch the first couple of sermons. This has been, and I can say this definitively, this has been the most personally effective sermon series already that I've preached in a long time. And so I'm so thankful that we are doing this. I'm so thankful to our 12-step ministry at Lover's Lane that's the inspiration for this series. And I really hope that you'll engage with us 